Good morning, everybody. Now, wasn't that a wonderful Sunday last week? That was terrific. What a great uh, sense of the presence of the Lord and the direction of the Lord, too. So, uh, you're not going to get rid of me that easily, apparently. The board would like me to stay on until about the time Pastor Peter comes, so I'll be here a few more weeks. I have a message from Pastor Peter, by the way. Dear Warden family, this has been an exciting week to say the least. We cannot tell you how amazing last week was for us and how confident we feel that God has so firmly been in the process. It's been a full week, uh, a week full of conversations and connections. Many of you have found us on social media and have reached out, and we love that. And we have felt so blessed by your welcome as well as the confirmations for trusted mentors and friends that have spoken into our lives. One of Warden's social media posts this week was so appropriate in this season. Psalm 34, verse 7, Delight yourself in the Lord and he'll give you the desires of your heart. And when people ask, how do you know when it's time to make big decisions in your life? The answer can only be, you'll know as you continually delight yourself in him. These answers come from him in relationship. Part of this brief devotional uh, on uh, the warden social media said this, The Lord will give us the desires of our hearts because the desires of our hearts consequently become aligned with his desires for us as we look, look to him as our supreme delight. Carrie Ann and I have felt this deeply throughout the, this season. Way to go, Fadzi. Great post. We're excited for the days ahead. Keep praying for us as we will do the same for you in his service, Pastor Peter. So he'll be here in the first part of June, and uh, so we're looking forward to that. Now, today is uh, back-to-back business meeting weeks, right? <laughs> and so, as a result of that, we're going to be uh, cutting the service a bit short so we can allow lots of time for that. Thank you for coming today, and we are... Asking you, if your members, to stay. And everybody can stay for that matter. Everybody's welcome to stay and uh, be a part of it, even if you do not have the membership voting privileges. But one of the important things that we're going to do today is that we're going to be voting on uh, four new board members. And so, once again, uh, this week with pictures in alphabetical order, we'll get Mike Atwell. There's Mike. And... Uh, I guess if you don't have to stand if you're here, you can anyway. How about that? Thank you. Jeffrey Kostius. There's Jeffrey. Jeff Gutzkall. Chuck. Sorry, Jeff. Paul Johnson. Precious Oyeburu. Over here. And Jacqueline Sterling. She's probably out doing stuff, right? <laughs> So, what tremendous candidates, and only four of them we can vote for. Well, we just pray that God will bless us. We've been praying all week, so hang in after the, after the message, and Pastor Joel will come with one final song, and then we'll set things up, and we'll try to move it along as soon as possible before the, the stomach starts to make noises. <laughs> well, this morning I want to speak to you for a moment about the subject of storms and you see that pastor or I mean brother Joel has uh, mentioned some of those things now I want to ask you a question first of all when you get to heaven what do you think the first thing you will notice is 
thinking about what you've read in Revelation chapters 22, 21, of the vision that John the Apostle had of the new, new Jerusalem and the new heaven and the new earth. Now, besides Jesus, so let's not be super spiritual here. Besides Jesus, who or what would you notice, first of all, about heaven, if you were all of a sudden plunked into heaven like John was in his visions? I wonder if it would be the golden streets. I wonder if it would be the city of gold. I wonder if it would be the 12 foundations of pearl, gems, the gates of pearl, the river of life, the tree of life. I've never personally had a vision of heaven, and so John the Apostle did. And in Revelation chapter 21, he gives us an introduction. And you'd be surprised what he noticed first. Does anybody know? Anybody? Venture? Okay. Hopefully it'll be a surprise. So it says in the scripture, John says, I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and there was no longer any sea. Strange. It's the first thing he thought about. Now I would have thought, wow, look at the city of gold, the streets of gold, all of those things. But that's what he particularly mentioned. Heaven is not going to have any sea. You say, so what? See, John was on the island of Patmos which was at that time just a prison. I've been there, and when I was on the highest point of that island where they would allow us, it was pretty hard to see any land anywhere near, on a, especially on a normal day. Some really clear days, perhaps you could see Turkey, I'm not sure, or Greece. But anyway, it was a prison, and John was stuck on this prison, no way of escape, and he said, when I get to heaven, there's no longer any a sea. <laughs> no wonder he said that. That's what he noticed first. But you see, the sea represented a lot of lot more things than what it did, as I just mentioned. The sea was a place of danger for people that lived in the Bible days. Psalm 107 says these words, They were at their wit's end, and they cried out to the Lord in their trouble, and he brought them out of their distress. He stilled the storm to a whisper. The waves of the sea were hushed. And they were glad when it grew calm, and he guided them into their desired haven. Yeah, it was, a, it was definitely a place of danger, but it was also a place that was symbolic of the devil. In Revelation chapter 13, when the beast is revealed, he comes up out of the sea. Symbolic of the devil. Also in Revelation chapter 20, it says the sea would give up the dead that were in it. Symbolic of death. No more danger in heaven, hallelujah, right? No more devil, no more death. For John, no more distance. His church was back in Turkey and Ephesus, and uh, his, all the people that he loved was, were there. He left Mary, the mother of Jesus, there, because he was supposed to look after all of that. Distance is what was represented. It was also a place of much discouragement for people that lived in that time in Bible days, Psalm 107 again, it says, He spoke and he stirred up a tempest that lifted high the waves. They mounted up to the heavens and went down to the depths, and in their peril their courage melted away. Many, many people had experienced shipwreck, lost cargo, lost life. They couldn't travel like they wanted to for days because of the weather. No more sea. No wonder John said, 
Heaven, hey, there's no more danger, there's no more devil, there's no more death, there's no more discouragement, there's no more distance. Well, also, we see in Revelation 22, there's no more disease because there's trees there that have leaves for the healing of the nations. Heaven's going to be a wonderful place, isn't it? Some interesting then and makes a little bit of sense that John said there's no more sea. William Barclay said one time, he had this, this story that he heard from someone that lived in the Bible days. And uh, if I ask you what this is, I might embarrass some people. They might say it's a paddle. It's actually an oar. And this sailor, he had been so sick and tired of the sea and all of its troubles and he had lived his life long enough in that sea, he said, I'm going to take this oar, I'm going to put it on my shoulder, and I'm going to walk inland. And I'm going to keep walking until somebody comes up to me and says, Sir, what is that strange thing on your shoulder? Then I know I'm far enough away from the sea. (laughs) Some people feel like that about troubles when they come our way. I feel like if I could just get far enough away from all of that. You know, years ago when I was uh, in a church pastoring, we took a men's group on a fishing trip for a week. And uh, one morning, almost near the end of the week, some of the guys were tired of fishing by then and they slept in a little bit. Fishing was better later anyway. So some of us ventured out and we took off from the south end of this long lake Uh, That was 12 miles long at least. Anyway, we got about two-thirds of the way up, and there was this bay off to the west. And we went in there to try to catch some pike. And I don't know if we caught any or not, but while we were leaving that long bay, we got back to the main piece of water, and there was this terrific terrific storm. The wind was incredible. Before we knew it, We were in the middle of it, and all we could see as we were broadside and the wind coming from the south was on the north side is this rocky shore. And we were going faster to the shore than we were making any progress around that point. Thankfully to the Lord, we got around it. We are almost swamped. We sat on this island for a while, and then we decided, okay, let's break it. The wind isn't giving up. So anyway, make a long story short, we made two attempts and I can always remember the, the face of the guy that was sitting in front of me as I'm trying to navigate this little 10-horse motor through these storms. The water was coming up over the bow. We, had, we turned around twice, almost swamped it turning around. Anyway, eventually we got, the wind died down enough. We made it back down to the south end where all the guys were staying in their cabins. Well, we got down there. They didn't even know know there was a storm because, you see, it was from the south. It went right over top of them, and it really picked up somewhere past the little bay in the south end where they were. They had no idea the storm that we were facing, and it was really the worst storm I had ever been in trying to navigate a small small boat like I, I had. And I thought we were going down for sure. You know, the funny thing is, like I said, the guys on the south end didn't even know there was much of a storm at all. And there's people here today that are going through a storm. And someone in the same pew or same row as you has no idea what you're going through. But you're going through it. And this is a big one. Maybe like the disciples in the story we're going to read, they were going through a big storm too. The biggest one or one of the worst that they'd ever been in. 
And you're perhaps in the same kind of a situation, or you have been in that kind of a situation. And so we look at this scripture today, and we talk about it. The Bible tells us about a storm, and it's recorded in the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke. I call it the disciples' first big storm. The first big storm. And it was the first one that they faced after they had decided to follow Jesus. Now, a lot of them were sailors, so you'd think it would be all right. Why don't we stand together? Let's read a few verses in Mark's account of this whole story. In unison, that day when evening came, he said to his disciples, let's go over to the other side. Leaving the crowd behind, they took him along just as he was in the boat. There were also other boats with him. A furious squall came up and the waves broke over the boat so that it was nearly swamped. Jesus was in the stern, sleeping on a cushion. The disciples woke him and said to him, Teacher, don't you care if we drown? He got up, rebuked the wind, and said to the waves, Quiet, be still. Then the wind died down, and it was completely calm. He said to his disciples, Why are you so afraid? Do you still have no faith? They were terrified and asked each other, Who is this? Even the wind and the waves obey him. So, Heavenly Father, we pray that for those of us that have been believers for a while and know the Bible, this is a very familiar story. It has ministered to us in so many ways at so many times. And so we pray again that you would just breathe freshness into it, make it appropriate to our lives today, to this church. God, just bless it, we pray. The truths are simple, but make them profound today, we pray in Jesus' name. Everyone said, Amen. Thank you, and be seated. This was a a time of Jesus' crowded days, I would say, when the crowds were gathering around him. Sometimes he would have to put out in a little boat, especially in Capernaum on the north shore of the Sea of Galilee, where he would teach in the hot sun all day. So Jesus has been teaching teaching the crowds and speaking to them, and he's been ministering, and it's been the hot, you know, Middle, Middle Eastern day on the Sea of Galilee. Jesus was physically drained after the day. And we know that from the fact that as soon as he got in the boat, he crashed and he was asleep. Also, I think if you read, if you, by reading Matthew's account, there was probably some spiritual strain on the day too. You see, while he was teaching, a couple of guys got all caught up in the great things that he was saying and said, I'm going to follow you, but just a little while. <laughs> Let me first go home, bury my father. I've got to go home and wait till he dies, and then I'll come and follow you after we've done the funeral. Another one said, um, yeah, um, listen, I'm going to go home too, but uh, first let me go home and bid farewell. And Jesus basically knew what was going on, and he said, no, you have to do it now. You have to follow me now. And it says he healed many. We we read a a few weeks ago about the woman who had the issue of blood. And how Jesus said, I sensed that power came out of me. Something came out of me. This woman has touched me. She's really touched me. And so if you spend a day ministering and healing and praying for people, there's a spiritual drain. Jesus physically, he was full of the Holy Spirit, but every day he was refilled just like we need to be, right? (laughs) He was refilled, and so he could have just been filled, period, because he was God, 
but he chose to be a man too. And so Jesus, the man, was filled with the Spirit so that we who were told we should go and do greater things than he did, we could say, well, he was God. No, he was God, but he decided to be man and he needed to be baptized and filled with the Holy Spirit so that he could live a victorious life and therefore he had the right to say to you and me, go and do greater things. And so Jesus is drained. Also, I think emotionally, Mark says in the third chapter, verse 21, that his mom and his sisters come with the brothers, and they're not sure exactly what's going on. They are a little bit worried about their... Her, she's worried about her son. They're worried about their oldest brother or half-brother. Anyway, so they come there, and it says in the Scripture, they think he's beside himself. One of the translations says, we think he's out of his mind. You know, when an enemy comes... And an enemy says to you, you know, it goes to attack you. You brace yourself and you're kind of ready for it. But when someone close to you comes and they try to dissuade you, thinking that they understand what's going on, that's just another thing. I think that would have been difficult for Jesus. So here's Jesus after that kind of a day. That day that all that stuff happened that I just mentioned, that day evening came. And he said, let's go over to the other side. He's on the north shore. He wants to go down and over to the east side with Gadara. And so without any preparations, it says he took him just like he was, emotionally, physically, spiritually drained, spent. And it says in verse 37, this furious squall comes up so that they're nearly swamped. It just wasn't an ordinary storm. This is a big one. Luke's gospel says it came down. If you've been in Israel... They're not the trees that you have in Canada on those hills. They're pretty barren. And before you know it, at any, just in a few moments, a, huge, a, a strong storm can move in. Wind can whip over those hills. And you who are out in this calm sea of Galilee they can all of a sudden be caught up in this storm. In about 10 or 15 minutes, it can happen. Luke says they were filling with water. The boat was getting full of water. Another part, place in the story, Luke says they were in jeopardy. Or the NIV says great danger. We, we know that this was not just an ordinary storm. It was a furious squall. And what is Jesus doing? He's in the stern of the boat. And he's sleeping on a pillow in the midst of the greatest storm. <laughs> and they wake up, Jesus, and they say to Jesus, Jesus, don't you care? <laughs> we are going down. We're going to drown. They didn't say, you know, we disciples. I think that we in included Jesus. Jesus gets up, he rebukes the wind, and he says, quiet, be still. You know what he said literally? Be muzzled. The same word that he used when he spoke to the demons. Be muzzled, be quiet, be silent. Gives you an idea maybe where this storm came from, doesn't it? And it says in the last two verses that we read, the disciples were now terrified he rebukes them for their lack of faith, and the story ends with the question of the disciples looking at each other and saying, who in the world is this, right? Who is this? The wind and the waves, even they obey him. So as you look at this passage of Scripture, familiar to so many of us, let's just take you know, a few simple, yet I hope profound things, just a way of reminder. Let's do the, the simplest one. The storm is inevitable, okay, number one. If you are a believer, if you are not even a believer, you live in this planet, storms are inevitable. 
That's just the way it is. Proverbs says it this way, when the storm has swept by, the wicked are gone, but the righteous stand firm forever. Isn't that a great sum? Jesus was teaching about people obeying his teachings in Matthew 7 and the great Sermon on the Mount. And he said, the wise man built his house upon the rock, and the foolish man decided, I'll build it on the sand. And it says, when the, storm, when the, when the floods came, the man who built on the sand, his house was swept away, but the man who built on the rock, well, his house stood firm. In that little parable, Jesus teaches us, it is not if the flood comes, it is when the flood comes. Storms are inevitable, and we need to realize that if we're going to be a part of this life that we live on planet Earth. Secondly, the storm was great. This is a furious storm. It was real. The water that was filling the boat was real water. And these experienced fishermen, many of them, not all of them, these experienced fishermen woke Jesus up. They assumed that they were going down. That's how bad it was. And don't think for a minute, if they were fishermen on the Sea of Galilee who sometimes fished at night, sometimes during the day, that they hadn't been in a storm or two. Given the frequency of storms in that area, even today, there's no doubt they had some been in storms before. But this was different. It's like that day on Ababaka Lake when I was fishing and I saw that my friend's face, he was concerned like I'd never seen him concerned before. We thought we were going down. And somebody might be here today and they're going through a storm. A storm you've never faced before. This is a big one. And uh, it looks like you're going down. But before we concede defeat to the storm and give up hope, let's take another look at the storm. Something that will surprise you. Number three, being in the storm was his idea. Remember, Jesus said, come on, boys, let's go to the other side. And they took him just as he was, readily obedient that they were. As they strained with the oars, I'm sure, they were thinking to themselves, as you and I would do if we were in a storm and we knew we were in God's will or he had led us there, we might be straining at this, these oars and saying, we were readily obedient. I did what I believe God wanted me to do. And now we're in this storm. What, what, what's going on here? Maybe there's a little grumbling going on. Maybe a little complaining. Or a lot. <laughs> you know, sometimes the North American version of the gospel, and I say version because there's only one true version and God's going to make it clear one day, we do our best. But a lot of the North American churches were taught especially 70s, 80s, 90s, that you assume if you're obedient to the Lord, it's going to lead you to a life of peace and ease and blessing. And that the only it's the pathway to disobedience that can lead you into troubles and trials and difficulties and storms. And all I can say is not so, not so, not so. Read the Bible. Some very good people went through some very difficult times Read biographies of great men and women of God. Study church history. Let's be honest, be realistic. We live in a day and age when we're, if we watch Christian TV, prosperity gospel preachers get on there every so often, more often than they ought to be. They ought to be on there zero, but anyway. It says they are, Paul said, Timothy, 
These men are of corrupt minds who have been robbed of the truth and who think that godliness is a means to financial gain. The North American prosperity gospel worked for a while and does to a certain degree in North America, but it just doesn't translate in other cultures, just so you know. Well, anyway, these, that was just a kick in this pants to somebody, you know. They were in a storm. These guys were in a storm. They were his disciples. It was his idea that they were in the storm. So some of you are going through great difficulty, and you're saying, but God, I, I think I'm in your will. I, I believe I'm in your will. <laughs> Another thing I want you to notice about the storm is it didn't wake Jesus up. Interesting, isn't it? These experienced seamen, for the most part, they were awake and they were nervous. Jesus was a land lover from Nazareth, drove through there once. I think there was a little creek going through the town, but not much in the line of sea. So I imagine he's a land lover. He's, he's, a, he's a carpenter by trade. And it says that Jesus is asleep on the helmsman's cushion. And you know what? He could sleep. He was exhausted. Remember the day I explained? And uh, he needed the rest because he is exhausted. And the next day, when he steps off that boat in Gadara, and these two notorious demonized men come running at him, one of them filled with a legion of demons, he better be ready to go. Amen. And not to mention the other things that are going to happen just in the next couple of days after he gets in Gadara. So Jesus was exhausted. Jesus slept, you know. He was, he was able to sleep. Why not? <laughs> He's the creator. I mean, come on, think about it. He created the world, which includes the wind and the waves and the sea, right? He's the master of the sea. But more than that, Jesus knew that his mission wasn't completed. He couldn't go down that day. He needed to go to the cross and bear our punishment. So he wasn't worried, so he slept. In the midst of the worst storm, probably one of the worst storms the disciples had ever been in. But what did waken Jesus up was not the storm, but the trembling hand of men in trouble. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. God is our strength and our, our refuge and strength and ever-present help in trouble. When we call upon him, it says in the, Psalm 50, in the day of trouble, I will deliver you. Psalm 3, 4, I cried unto the Lord with my voice and he heard me out of his holy hill. <laughs> Even though it seems like he's way up there in his holy hill, he still answers us. So the storm revealed, um, or, or pardon me, the storm did not wake Jesus. The, you know what the storm did do? It revealed the disciples. Storms have a way of doing that, don't they? They kind of tell us what we're made of, what kind of stuff we have. It didn't wake Jesus to calm the storm, just in case you were wondering. It was a protest. Don't you care? We are going to drown. That we included them. The whole campaign is going down. There's going to be no setting up of the government of God in Jerusalem with us as the, uh, you know, the assistants and administrators. Sometimes we think when Jesus is silent, it's, it means he's indifferent and he doesn't care. <laughs> Not necessarily. 
The whole campaign's going down. Don't you care, Jesus? And I know they didn't wake him up to do a miracle. I know they didn't. Because they were more afraid after he did the miracle than before he did it. Campbell Morgan says, Whatever fear was produced by the storm was lost by a greater fear and consternation that took possession of the disciples when the storm was suddenly hushed and it ended. So it revealed the disciples. Sometimes we go through difficult times. We look at ourselves in the mirror and say, I didn't know that was down there. God helped me change. But you know what? It revealed Jesus. Isn't it the way storms are? They reveal Jesus to us. They, dis- they discovered Jesus in a way they hadn't known him before. Up until this time, he was a, a great teacher, an expounder of ideals. He was the king. He was, had authority in the realm of wisdom and moral and ethics. But after the storm, hmm, they said, he's the master of the sea. The wind and the, we- the weather obey him. Now I understand what Job says when he says the lightning bolts come down and strike the earth and they go back to God and tell them where, he's been, where they've been. The next day, when they arrive, they will see two notorious demon-possessed people that chains cannot hold, that run wild in the graveyards, set free, and they will discover the next day have another revelation of Jesus that he's master of the devil. <laughs> and a day or two later, he's going to raise Dar- Jairus' daughter. He's the master over death. A revelation of Jesus. We have the whole Bible. We can, we can discover these things as well as we read the Bible. And as we go through life, we discover things too. But for now, with the storm came a clear understanding of who Jesus was, a greater manifestation, so much so that they looked at each other and said, Who is this? Who is this? And all down the centuries, time and time again, God has brought men and women of faith to that attitude through the storms. Storms have a way of doing that. After the storm, often, there's more intensive discipleship. Second result is there's a preparation for future storms for the disciples when he would not physically be with them. And also, when he does do that, it calms a storm. It just puts a seal of approval on all those other promises of this great God and Savior that we serve, Jesus Christ. Hallelujah. Puts a pla- it just places a seal of approval on all of that. Well, they'd witnessed that day as never before, the composure of the king. As he said, be muzzled to that storm, and it was quiet. You know, sometimes someone said, you know, sometimes it's better not to wake Jesus up when you're in trouble. But we do. We always call upon him. He responds, but sometimes with it comes a rebuke. Don't you trust me? It's just small stuff. Don't sweat the small stuff. Guess what? It's all small stuff. That's a leadership thing, which has its limited (laughs) application. You know, there's a higher faith that waits for deliverance out of the storm. A faith that says, well, if he's here, it's going to be all right. Let the waves roll, let the waters beat. And the last thing I want to say about this storm is the greatest 
the storm ended. <laughs> wow, how profound, Pastor Tom, you know, like, duh, you know. But think about it. Matthew says, and they arrived. They went through the storm, and they arrived on the other part of the Sea of Galilee. Safe, changed, better, stronger, a fuller revelation of who Jesus was. You know, some commentators, they have the nerve to say. They arrived safe and, safe and sound on the other shore as if it never happened. Hey, I think it looked like that. You know, after that storm, something like that. Wasn't that big, of course, just a fishing boat, likely. With Jesus on board, you'll always arrive. Last year, Warden went through a storm that they had never faced before. The death of a beloved pastor. And for almost three years, Warden and our whole world faced a pandemic that we had never faced before. But like Jeremy Taylor says, we're safer in the middle of a storm with God than anywhere else without him. Mark threw this in, the other two gospel writers did, and he says there were other boats with them too. Now, I don't know what happened to them in the storm, but I'm sure glad that if I was them, I would be on the boat with Jesus. <laughs> Are you in Jesus' boat today? Is he your Savior? Are you in the boat, the ark of safety called salvation? If you aren't, then Jesus will save you today. He will welcome you in. When the storm hits, I want to be in Jesus' boat. <laughs> That's all I can say. Wor worship team, come on up to the front. And they're going to sing a song before we go into our business meeting and just allow the Holy Spirit to apply to our hearts, whatever your circumstance is. I thank God that he brought you through last year. I thank God that he brought you through those three years of pandemic. Yeah, when we got to the other side of it all, there's lots of scars. There's lots of tears. There's lots of memories for all of us, all of you. We love Pastor Werner. We know that's true. Just before Joel comes, um, the last song he used was Horatio Spafford's song, It Is Well With My Soul, parts of it. And I was in Israel, outside the gate where the place looks like a skull or rock, outside of the city walls, I should say, is Golgotha. Up on a, on a house, right behind it, within sight of this, is the home of Horatio Spafford, the man who wrote that song. Horatio Spafford was a dad and a husband, wealthy man, American. His son had just died tragically, he had four daughters left and his wife. Much of what he owned was destroyed in the Chicago fire. His wife and daughters were on their way back to England and somewhere in the Irish Sea they hit a storm and the ship went down and the telegraph came back, her telegram, to Horatio from his wife. All is lost but me. Four daughters, son, his business. He sat down within, I don't know how many hours or days, and he wrote, when sorrows like sea billows roll, it is well with my soul. <laughs> Hallelujah. 
Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for being with Warden through a difficult year. And so I pray that you will continue to pour in your oil of healing. So many here will always miss Pastor Werner. Our world is not the same since COVID, even on the news today. We're talking about things being affected in our economy all because of COVID. But we thank you, God, that you brought us through. Hallelujah. The storm has ended, and the storms are going to come again. But we thank you for this story because it reminds us that Jesus is with us. He's with us in the storm. So bless your word to our hearts, we pray. For those that are not in the ark of safety, in the boat with Jesus, so to speak, I pray that today they would make their peace with God, ask Jesus to forgive them for their sins, come into their lives, we pray in Jesus' name. So let's stand with Joel as he leads us in this song before we change the order.